Hello, welcome to The Battleground Project, an experiment in Christian localism. I'm C.R. Wiley. And I'm Max Booth. On this podcast, we hope to discuss local issues from a Christian perspective. And while these issues are specific to our little town of Battleground, we hope that you'll find them helpful wherever you are. Hello, welcome to The Battleground Project, a podcast that is an experiment in Christian localism. I'm C.R. Wiley, and I am the host of the show, and I'm joined by uh, a couple of guys today, one of whom you'll be hearing uh, going forward as we uh, continue this podcast. This is our kickoff show. We're kind of getting this thing rolling today. So we're making this up as we go along. And uh, if we change our mind about stuff in future episodes, we'll let you know. But anyway, uh, Max, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell folks out there a little bit about yourself, your background, not just church stuff, but uh, stuff that actually relates to Battleground uh, in a more general way. All the stuff, the stuff that'll get me in trouble. <laughs> uh, I'm Max Booth, and uh, member and an elder of a local church here in town, but also I work as a deputy director for community development, so um, I have high-level oversight of all sorts of development activities and building permits uh, here in the county where we live. And uh, that's that's a brief background about me, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, I live here, too, not uh, too far from you. And uh, mm-hmm. folks who might be aware of who I am know that I serve a church uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. It actually meets in Vancouver, but our office is in Battlegrounds. So, so and, and right now, by the way, we are in a, we are in a diner. This is uh, Old Town Burger. Old Town Burger in Old Town Battleground. And so if you hear a waitress in a few minutes delivering our food... You can just salivate from where you are and just imagine how delicious it is and how much we're enjoying it. But we're, we're joined today by a guy who is not actually from Battleground. He's from Batavia, Ohio. Batavia, Ohio. And uh, his name is Michael Foster, the infamous Michael Foster. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> anyway, Michael, we, uh, we're glad to have you here. You're in town because you actually are connected to a company that has a, a, you know, in a facility here, Maddox Industrial Transformer. That's but, my secret, but yeah. <laughs> now it's out. Yeah, it's inevitable. You've been outed on, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on our program. But anyway... What we wanted to talk to you about uh, actually connects to the theme of the show, as we as we hope to see it develop, and that's uh, Christian localism. And you mm-hmm. have something you've done called County Before Country, and uh, it's a conference that's been held a couple of times, but I yep. think it's a larger project than just the conference. Can you fill us in a little bit on that? Yeah. So, you know, I planted a church during the pandemic in 2020, and the church grew relatively rapidly because... Uh, You know, 2020 is going to be one of those years we talk about for a long time. A lot happened uh, with, like, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, all the wokeism, obviously the the reaction of the church and division over this and that interpretation, Roman 13. A lot of people left their churches, but they also were really frustrated about kind of the political scene where people were being demonized uh, for being Republicans, for wanting to vote for uh, Trump and be supportive of Trump. And so there's a lot of folks that were thinking about cultural engagement at that time for, it was inevitable. You just couldn't get away from it. And so a lot of those people came to our church and we're very thankful for them. Uh, but there also was a tendency I saw in people to be caught up with national politics, which busy, busy the mind, right? Yeah, right, right. Um, but you really can't do much about them. And I was deeply influenced by Neil Postman in my oh, undergrad yeah. at yeah. Northern Kentucky University. 
and just reading Neil Postman and, and talking about more or less how, you know, uh, modern media is really just propaganda. It's like Jacques Ellul sort yeah, of yeah. influence there uh, and pulls you out of uh, where the time and place you're at. And I, I thought, well, you know, as someone who studies sexuality and anthropology a lot, I think about being a, a created being, which means you exist both in time and space. Yeah. Right? So this is the time in history God's placed me, and this is a place in history God has put me, and I'm to be involved in that in those things. So one day I just thought, yeah, man, it's, I'm all about my county before my country. Yeah, so, yeah. So this is a, like a hashtag. I'm... Yeah. I'm on Twitter. You learn, yeah, you know, right. I tell people Twitter's retarded haiku, and I've gotten, <laughs> gotten pretty good about it because I'm a little retarded. And, uh, and so I, I tweeted it out and got a lot of attention. And then I thought, man, I'd like to, yeah, I bet we could put a conference on this together yeah. pretty quick. And I, I think there's a real desire for that because people want to, people are frustrated and mad. It's focused at a federal level, but I wanted to challenge people to do something. Yeah. And, and a lot of people were, were actually willing to get to work. Yeah. So we uh, threw it together, invited you out, invited George Grant. Uh, we had John Moody and Aaron Wren. Um, we had a lot of our friends out there and, and had different people talk about aspects of being involved in your local community. What does that look like? And so for me, localism, Christian localism, is just uh, the giving uh, priority and focus to the time and place God's put you. That's how I would explain it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it makes sense at a number of levels. One is our our country was more or less established to function that way. Yeah. You know, mm. basically the idea, if you study the founding documents, founding fathers, is you weren't supposed to be all that wrapped up in national politics. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. And, and the truth is America does function a little more like an imperial situation than one true, uh, it's not, culture shifts regionally big time. And it's usually not one thing, but it's like a death by a thousand pinpricks. When I was in the yeah. South, like, you can point out little things here and there, but the big difference is in the aggregate of it all coming together. So, you know, Midwestern versus East Coast versus uh, South, they're very different. They have different problems. Like, the example I always give people is I used to put this sign out, all Christians should be in a church asking why. I'd put that out when I do these fair ministries. Mm -hmm. And then when I would do these fair ministries... We got uh, some food being delivered here. Very important moment. Lots of bacon and sausage. Look bacon at the sausages. And sausage. And we got the hot dog over here. Look like a fat man's Max. Yeah, we got the Chicago dog. That's right. So all of our listeners in the Chicago area, I want you to know that that's a pretty good-looking Chicago dog. I've done the Chicago dog in Chicago a few times. I've never had one there. Is this oh, really? Like it's the yeah, it's pretty close. Really it's pretty close. It's got like it's a whole pickle spear on it. It's yeah, crazy. usually it's a bigger pickle spear. You know, like oh. when you're in Chicago, it's an enormous piece of pickle. Mm -hmm. There you go. But you got it. You got it. That's what it looks like. Notice there's no ketchup. Did they put ketchup? That's not a genuine Chicago just mustard. Dog. If it's just mustard, then they really know what they're doing. It is. This this brings up the debate, like the ketchup and mustard debate on hot dogs. Oh, it it does. You know, I think people get pretty worked up about it in Chicago. I've known that. I've known them to do that. Anyway, it's kind of funny you talk about this. I mean, this is uh, one of the things I love about guys like Anthony Bourdain. When you watch uh, No Reservations with Anthony Bourdain, they focus really on food and yeah. what's the regional dish or whatever. Um, and regions have a ways of eating. Like I put this out on my my Facebook not too long ago. Like, hey, what's your favorite? regional dish. Like in K the Kentucky area, we eat this thing called getta, which is like oats soaked in grease, okay? It's, it's like it's really like a Kentucky version of, of grits or something. Kind of. Well, if grits were made into a sausage patty, 
right? So they they enliven your soul while destroying your body. And but those looking good. Thanks. There's regional dishes. There's regional expectations. And the example I was going to give is I used to do these fair ministries where you just would get a booth and give away like free water or something. If in July yeah. in Indiana it's hot and yeah. people come and get it and have a sign to say all Christians should be in church. Ask me why. Well, Christians on the other side of the Appalachian. They, they were kind of spread out in the early founding of the country, and they, they don't have the same commitment to church that you do in the South. Yeah, yeah. Right? So those Christians will get mad at you in Indiana, or those professed Christians, and they'll want yeah. to talk to you. So it's a really good conversation <laughs> generator. So yeah. I did the same thing when I moved to um, South Carolina in the Greenville area, put that sign up at the Piedmont County Fair, and it was crazy, the different reaction. They just stared at us with guilt. Oh, Wow. And they, I think they, what, they were thinking, you're right. You're right. And it's because Christendom still has relative power in the South. I, yeah. I really do think the South is, in general, more moral in those scandalous sins. Yeah. I can approve it. I'm, I haven't looked at the stats, but experientially, there's just the, you know, it's kind of cultural Christianity's hold that, held that back. So it's a very... The way you approach evangelism has to be different. Yeah. Right? And and so that's just one example from region to region. These things don't, uh, the illustrations you use, the, yeah. the things you talk about, local matters and it affects your everyday. But when we're living online and disconnected from our time and place, uh, we actually care about things that don't affect us when there are things that really are affecting us in our yeah. locale that we don't know anything about. Let's think about that a little bit. So I'm I'm new to Battleground. I've been here a couple of years, and I've made some you know observations about the place. How long have you been here, Max? Have you are you like uh, a lifer or not quite? No, we've we've lived here eight and a half years. Okay, yep. From, so you, from Denver originally. Okay, yeah. so now is that long enough to be considered like a like a genuine resident of Battleground? Like back in New England, you could spend your entire life on Cape Cod, but if you weren't born on Cape Cod, you just were not from the Cape. <laughs> You know, I don't know if it would have been forever, but recently, the amount of people moving here from even just Portland and other areas, eight years is a long time to have lived here. Yeah. Um, everyone I talk to is new, it yeah. seems like, so yeah. I don't know. So how would you describe the sort of the ethos, the atmosphere of Battleground? Because it, it might be a surprise to people who aren't from the area yeah. to learn you know, or to discover some, some of the things that characterize Battleground. Here we are in the penumbra of the, you know, most notorious liberal city in America, you know, Portland, Oregon. You know, right. it's right across, you know, it's 20 minutes to downtown Portland from here. You know, that's it's yeah. pretty amazing when you think about it. You can spell it. Yeah. Yep, you Sorry. can. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> actually, I, actually I, for me, it's tongue-in-cheek because I've been in a lot more liberal places than Portland, Oregon. But anyway, it's a, Portland, Oregon, this is my take in Portland, Oregon. It's a wannabe. It's yeah. not the real deal. And so they, they go way over the top to try to prove themselves all the time. And it's kind of goofy. If you're, if you're from the East Coast, you, you've got, you're around liberals who are completely self-confident and don't feel like they need to prove anything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about Battleground. What, what, what makes Battleground an interesting place to live? Well, I mean, the, my take on it for the eight and a half years I've been here is it's an odd kind of like uh, what I would call um, a conservative little pocket. Yeah in a pretty liberal place. Mm-hmm. Now, it's certainly conservative, relatively speaking, to what we're around, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's genuinely conservative compared to some of the more conservative things you see across the country. Largely, it's what I would call like a preferential or a, an arbitrary conservatism. Okay. It doesn't seem to be rooted in um, uh, the Christian faith. Okay, right. Okay? Yeah. Um, 
There is, though, um, a pretty large population of uh, uh, apostolics here. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Lutheran apostolics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Old apostolics. And, and those people know, I'm telling you, as someone that's from here, no one knows what that is. Yeah. I yeah. didn't, I studied right. church history in seminary. I never learned about right. these guys. It was a very interesting yeah, we actually, group of people. Yeah, what happened for me, which was interesting, because I lived in Connecticut, uh, in the central part of Connecticut, for about oh, almost 20 years before coming here. Uh, we have a branch of the same group in, really? in uh, that area in Ellington, <laughs> and very strong. Uh, they're, so, they, they, you know, they're different, like, Names uh, that are used sort of in the area for the group by people who aren't from the group, you know. Right. But uh, in the East, they're kind of known for the same stuff. So here in Battleground, the apostolic folks are heavy into the trades. uh, Yep. And um, they are back East, large families. Uh, They're (laughs) Orthodox in the sense that, you know, they believe in the, you know, all the... uh, things that we affirm in the Apostles' Creed, yeah. uh, but they have kind of a Mennonite cast, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting. That's yep. the thing that's kind of different about them. They, they're not Mennonites, but they could kind of pass for Mennonites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you, you know, and, I, and I'm from Pennsylvania, so I know real Mennonites mm-hmm. and, and Amish and all that kind of stuff. So, but it's a, it, they're, they're, they're a, a real, I think, I, I think a solidifying community because they're pretty big. Mm-hmm. You know, but how many, th- how many, how big do we do you think maybe they are? Couldn't tell you, but I can say I can say this much about it. They've got um, was it four or five church buildings in the local area, each one serving three to five thousand people. Yeah, and they're building more. Yeah, so, so we're not talking about a small group. No, <laughs> um, they're they're building one up in Woodland, which is uh, forty five minutes north of here, mm-hmm. and many of them are moving there because the price of houses and stuff here is pretty outrageous. Yeah. Um, but they're building another church building right here in Battleground by Tukes, um Elementary School. And yeah. these aren't small little church buildings. These no. are, these and, are large. And, and, and they're packed. Like uh-huh. when I go by one of their facilities, the parking lot's packed and it's all minivans, uh, mm-hmm. Suburbans, and pickup trucks. <laughs> it's just like, wow. And then, you know, usually you can see an apostolic mom when she's coming into the store because she's got a, like a crew of, yep. you know, six to seven kids following her in. Uh, another uh, significant group here uh, are the expat uh, uh, Eastern Europeans, the Russians, the Ukrainians. And, yeah. and lots of Ukrainians. Yeah, and lots a lot of, of... Same thing in Greenville. It's kind of interesting is that Greenville has a similar, maybe about 80-75% of the population here. But yeah, yeah uh, I don't know what it is about Battleground that brought them here. Yeah, well, there's an interesting tie I'll t- mention in a minute, but a lot of these folks are evangelical. They're evangelical, Baptist. Uh, some of them are in the Pentecostals kind of, but they're all, they're like the they're like the Cubans in Miami. Yeah. They all hate communism, viscerally. <laughs> <laughs> My so they're people. like super reliable Republican votes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just wave a little, you know, pinko flag, and they're just like seething and, and ready to kill. <laughs> so they're great. Uh, we also have uh, the regional headquarters for the Seventh-day Adventists here. Yeah. So uh, there's a, actually a fair-sized Seventh-day Adventist community, you know, like in almost an entire neighborhood not too far from here. Yeah. Their building's up there in Ridgefield, 20 mm-hmm. minutes north of us, the right. headquarters. And then they've got a good-sized school and church right here in, yeah. in Meadowglade. Yeah, so this is going to sound awfully weird. So, you know, I lived in New England for the last, you know, 30 years of my life plus, 35 maybe even going up 40 if I put it all together. But I've lived in Boston, Cape Cod, and Connecticut. This is the most conservative community I've lived in as an adult. 
Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I lived in Cambridge, for one thing, <laughs> right between Harvard and MIT for about a decade. And then I lived in on Cape Cod, and then I lived in Connecticut, you know. Uh, and when people ask me, is it a little weird being out there amongst all those liberals? I just kind of laugh. I say, you've never met a liberal. <laughs> this, it, first of all, the battleground is not what you think. For, and secondly, my, my opinion of West Coast liberals, I've already given you. <laughs> bogus. But, <laughs> they're bogus. But anyway, um, well, let's dig into this a little bit uh, because I think, you know, you're doing something more than just having conferences. Sure. And you're getting involved in some different things. So, so some, talk about some of the ways your church is, uh, you know, doing stuff in the local community there in Batavia. So I would say we're a word and sacrament church. So in other words, like my job as a pastor— Preach the word, minister the sacraments, right? Part of preaching the word, though, is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And to be salt and light, to, to live their uh, all of their life as service unto God. And so as part of that, we're encouraging our people to be salt and light in the various callings, you know, vocations and stations and whatever. And uh, so we'll, we'll point out uh, opportunities to get on city, you know, village councils, like 150 votes to get on village council. It's not nice. a lot, right? Yeah. And that's true of a lot of America and, and many of these counties and Claremont County where I live is right outside of Hamilton, Hamilton County is where Cincinnati is. And a lot of national elections is a battle between Cincinnati and Cleveland or Cincinnati and Columbus, yeah. right? Cause Ohio is a purplish state that flips. Yeah. And so we're right outside of Hamilton where a lot of people move and live. So the lawyers, the doctors, the people in downtown, uh, a lot of them do have houses there, but a lot of them also just live right outside the city. And so well, it's we, like the old Roman aristocracy. You got your yeah. in-town house, you got your country house. That's exactly right. Yeah. In and case the riots are bad, you go out to the country house. Go out house. there and let the <laughs> let it sort itself out and come back. And so we we have a lot of actual influence or potential influence where we're at. And and you can grab these counties. Like I think a county commissioner is only a couple thousand votes. And your ability to, uh, you know, influence who's uh, sheriff, which is a big yeah, deal yeah. in in these states. Sheriffs yeah. can just sell the uh, federal government now. Yeah. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And and many did during the pandemic, including both Hamilton County and Claremont County. They said we're not enforcing any of that. And like you, you can say it, but we're not enforcing it. Yeah. That's that's huge. And and then there's things that you don't even understand, like whoever controls. The budget, uh, the people in the health department, we've learned, are very powerful people yep. who does zoning, who does permits. All these things to some people seem unspiritual, but it's about our livelihood. It's about the well-being of our family and and the well-being of our community. And what you'll find is when you get involved, it, it really tempers your view of of labels. You know, like right. you you might find yourself really having a lot in common with someone that says they're a Democrat. Yep. And that's just because everyone really wants safe neighborhoods. Yep. Like or not everyone, most everybody right. wants safe neighborhoods. They don't like their money being taken from them. They like block parties, and when you go local, it. You it, want to know what the one of the safest neighborhoods in the, in Boston is? Winter Hill, where the Irish Mafia is. I bet it is. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's safe because yeah. everybody's scared to death that if they rob somebody, they're going to be killed. And they don't want to step out of line. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. So you can build these uh, build these really powerful coalitions by getting involved in simple things. You know, we have the Batavia Swim Club. A bunch of our women are on that. Well, what power does that have? Well, you. Every, all, the women, all the women get yeah. together and talk, and you know what's yeah. going on, and right. and you hear these things, and 
So it's just about getting involved locally is what we start pushing people for. But, you know, um, a lot of our men in our church are entrepreneurs. They, they like to build things. We After the first county of our country, um, one of our deacons, John Pryor, opened up Zeal Collective, which is a um, co-working space and an event. It's really beautiful. It's right there on Main Street. That's where I work out of for my job in the electrical industry. And... Um, and so they started that, but now we have some other elders that are helping them do some economic development where there really isn't good shopping right in that part of the county, and we think we could, we could build something. Mm-hmm. And, and so someone comes in with a real vision for the place, and it's not to make a Christian Disneyland or something like that. Right, it's right. to make something that we all, our wives want, that we'd all benefit from, and people get excited about it because it's usually people with an ax to grind in, in those uh, Midwestern little towns, like some liberal person that um, right. has, um, I don't know, he's got some urban planning uh, degree or something pointless like that. I know Aaron Wren has that. He, <laughs> he's like the exception, but... Yeah, he's the only guy. He's the only one too, that man. I trust. But, uh, <laughs> but so we're getting guys involved in little things. It's so cool to hear what people are doing. Mm-hmm. What I mostly do is just talk about it and yeah. try to encourage people and say, yeah, we'll, we'll send people over. Or when John opened up Zeal Collective... I made sure that I was the first one that got a subscription there. Yeah. Just let them know that, like, I'm, I'm all about it, and I want to support you. Right. And so those are the sort of things we're seeing happen, and that is how you build culture. You know, I've been in a lot of national media over this um, book reading, uh, yeah. library reading. Yeah. And, uh, and I was thinking that's one way you build culture. You read to little kids. Culture right. or books build culture. That's why those uh, perverts are doing it. Yeah. And um, and we I didn't do it as a PR stunt. Like I got inter- interviewed by the New York Times. Yeah. And I'm barely I'm barely in the article at all because like did you do this as a reaction to the drag queens? I was like, well, they're the ones that got it in my head, but I wasn't <laughs> protesting them. It was about the children. Right. It was about having something good at the library, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and you just start getting involved, you meet everybody, yeah. and God opens doors. I mean, it's like you learn that the way you buy commercial property is not by looking on Zillow. Yeah. Right. Oh, like, that's one way, right. but there's a whole other market. There's a pre-market that exists right. that happens amongst people that know each other. Why a lot of Christians have no power in the culture is they don't invest in it. They stay in their house. They, you know, As we talk about grill Americans, they just want to be on their back porch and grill mm-hmm. and be left alone. Well... Uh, our culture doesn't want to leave you alone anymore. No, right, and if right. you try to do that, you're going to get in real trouble. So that's the stuff we're trying to do, and it's cool what well, God does. I'd like, I'd like to take a, a look at that from a couple of angles, but before I do, do you have anything you want to yeah, say here, Max? I was just I'm thinking a few steps back when you were talking about um, the tendency to get so focused on national politics, get yeah. frustrated about it, and it's, it's polarizing, and there's not much we can do about it. And I wonder how much of that attitude then trickles down into your grill Americans um, and they think my neighbor who voted Democrat is definitely one of those outrageous, right, right. Um, far left edge people when really they're probably not. They're probably, like you said, a lot closer to where you are on a lot of issues yeah. that hit close to home, right. even though they're registered Democrats or whatever. Sure. And then we just dis- Christians disengage and go, yeah, they're all they're all those people because I saw them on the national news. Mm-hmm. I know what they're like. And really, I mean, not saying that there's none of that here, but. Sure. That's the bulk of what we find uh, left of center is not that. Mm-hmm. Certainly yeah. not in towns like Battleground, I don't think. Yeah, so, yeah. But I, I guess a couple of things I want to think about. One is kind of, you know, that missional thing. 
you know mm-hmm. that that buzzword that we love to to use. As I never hated it, but it got <laughs> it got taken in a bad direction. To be, uh, yeah. but I, I'm for it. Well, let's let's think about that word, but also think about what what kind of theology supports this effort. Yeah. So I want to, those are two parts of this. So the first thing is, um, I think a kind of naive approach to cultural engagement was promoted uh, through the optics of these urban church planting efforts. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that if you go into the center of town, That's right. that you're going to have a huge impact. Well, I want you to know that Manhattan actually isn't ruled from Manhattan. It's ruled from Fairfield County out in Connecticut. All the people who are the heavy hitters in New York live in Fairfield. It's the Gold Coast. Yeah. I mean, you're just talking about the, one of the wealthiest counties in America. Mm. But it's those people who run the show. Sure. You can be right downtown. I don't care how far you are from Central Park on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Yeah. You know, which what you're getting there are like junior league beta people who are just grunts who are living mm-hmm. in little apartments. Yeah. You know, the people who are the real heavy hitters are out in Fairfield, like I said. But uh, in your situation, that's kind of what you're tapping into, the fact that Absolutely. you know the, the real movers and shakers in Cincinnati are not living you know, in the artsy neighborhood. We also took a, <laughs> we also took a guess that there was only one direction to go uh, in terms of you had to go east. Because if north, it's, you're almost getting a data now where there's actual land you can buy um, north of the town. It really got developed about 30 years ago. And so in our county, um, we had this prediction that, you know, Em and I and a couple friends, that this is where the next growth was going to be. Well, my goodness, it's crazy. Factory after factory is coming in. There's so much coming in right now. And we called it right. Now we're there. We came in. We we got established. And we like to kind of do things under the cover of night. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I don't really want to get arrested for singing psalms. Um, I, I want no one to ever know that we sung psalms and everyone be happy that we sung psalms and the, the sheriff come out and drink his coffee and thank us and go back in. And like one of the examples recently was they called us and well, someone called us and told us that there's going to be a, a pro-choice uh, protest and they're going to chalk the entire city building with like all these pro-choice, pro-murder stuff. So we found out about it and a couple people from our church showed up I'm out in us now, showed up, and um, the moment they were done chalking, they walked away. As they walked away, we walked and just washed it all off. <laughs> so it wasn't there. And then what happened yeah. is someone came and asked for a comment, like who, who we were and why we're doing this. And, they did, and then the newspaper article says the anonymous group declined to comment. That's kind of where we're at. <laughs> like it's this balance where you bring some attention in to set up flares to get people, but you don't want to always. You don't want everything to be PR mm-hmm. and just trying to piss people off. That's what you see right. with a lot of these. You know, it's actually about getting involved and and doing something. And now we're getting there where we got mayors and whatever that can say, no, no, those are good people. That's a good church. Even if you don't agree with them, yeah. you know, this sort of people well, you want it, in your corner. This is the, the distinction between effectiveness and maybe um, an alternative or an ulterior motive or agenda. So if my, my agenda is to get uh, another 5,000 followers on Twitter, yeah. you know, then... Who needs that, right? <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so. But if that's my, that's my purpose for all this sort of high-profile stuff, that's one thing. But if I'm really interested in being a kind of community leader that's yeah, a different agenda really is and um i've seen enough of this over the years to have a sense of how that all kind of plays out but a, generally a, a guy who is a community leader is, is the guy everybody knows 
and everybody uh, is interested in sort of making certain he's on board with what they want to do. Yeah. But you don't necessarily know who he is if yeah. you're not in the know. And every community is full of them. Oh, yeah. Right? They're full of them. And they could be a man of peace. Yeah. Like they talk about in mis- a missionary language, finding yeah. a guy that's your advocate. Right. Or he could be a man of war. Yeah. Because especially if you come in and get his fist up. Right? Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to make your area better, Unless they're truly like this poisonous towards God, they're usually going to want to work with you. Yeah. So like in my days in Cambridge, we had one of our biggest supporters was a Jewish businessman who lived in the community and uh, helped to underwrite a lot of the things that we did in the neighborhood. Wow. You know, and he just, he loved us. And I've got a fun story about it, but I won't talk about it at the moment. <laughs> but let's go on to the theology of this. So. Sure. So you, you, you noted uh, earlier that some people might dismiss some of the things you're doing as, like, not spiritual. Sure. So what is uh, your theology, uh, and how does that undergird what you're doing? Man, there's so many big parts of this. Um, but the one that I think actually is most, most important for us is that we just believe that God made us to live in the material world. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> you know, so we are created beings. Like, to be human is to, except for the weird moment of the, the temporary immediate, intermediate state, we are always incarnated. We always have flesh. I mean, it, like, so there, there was a body and then it became a living soul, right? So that's when the spirit and the body's there together, the spirit body composite. Um, and we were made to be under the star. I mean, t- you take your shoes off and you put your feet in the grass and mud, it feels right. This is home. This is what we're supposed to be part of this. And we're supposed to enjoy these things. These things were all made for us. The reason man is made last is the same reason when my daughter bought a hermit crab. Before we bought the hermit crab, we set up the whole aquarium, got everything right just for the hermit crab. And then we stuck the hermit crab in it. God made our environment and then he stuck us in it. And then he said, look, have dominion, shape all this. And so part of this is just being what God made us to be. Little boys digging the dirt. Mm-hmm. Men do too. Yeah. Uh, but with but, a lot more expensive tools. A lot more, and, and then it, <laughs> and with a purpose, like right, not just right. in the flower garden. It's there's another purpose. <laughs> right. But so part of it is like we are meant to shape things, to make things. We we can't create in the pure sense that God does, but we can make. Mm-hmm. And and so that's part of it. Food's good. You got to grow food, right? You you have to have markets to sell food. Like, all these things are just a natural outworking of who we are. And Christians, because they are such a product of this materialistic, consumeristic uh, way of living, they don't realize, like, it's like there's jokes. People don't know where milk comes from. That's right. Right? I've met some. Yeah, right? They don't, they don't really fully understand it. So right. we have, we're so disconnected. So you take that sort of di- disconnection from making food, Making something you use. I remember back in 2007 or 2008, after that, that the Great Recession, you, like I, I lost a ton of money and I went through a massive life shift from like lots of money to living in someone's basement. And uh, I, it really woke me up. And I remember it, uh, I got That'll into do it. That'll do it. I started reading some survival, <laughs> survivalist stuff, like prepper stuff. Not really what you want to be reading in that stage of your life. But one, Not in the right frame of mind. Yeah, it's like this I is want gonna, more ammo. This is going to feed your anxiety. Like, how am I going to get a shelter? You live in a basement. <laughs> but, um, and one thing that occurred to me is I don't really know how to make anything I depend on. Mm. Seriously, right, I don't. Right, yeah. Don't yeah. know how to like make clothes. Uh, right, right. I could maybe figure out to sew a button on. I was taught that at one point, <laughs> yeah. but I haven't done that. It, it is amazing. We don't know how to make our food. 
We don't have uh, the skills you need for life. We're all dependent on production facilities that happen overseas. And so I'm not saying we all should start growing our own food and doing all that stuff. I'm just saying that disconnects us from the world of things. And then you combine that with a world that's lived online or through media, right, right. detached from the body, with a Christianity that thinks that to be spiritual is for things to happen abstractly in the mind only. You put those three things together, right. and people are disengaged from their locale yeah. in yeah. major ways. So we're just simply reclaiming, like I say, time, this is where you got put you, yep. and, and place. Time is where you are born, you live in, and place is where you spatially exist, right? Well, what, what I'm hearing you kind of lay out <laughs> is something that maybe we just don't consider much, and that is maybe uh, what we have now is a huge vacuum that we can enter into. I think so. There's a like a leadership deficit uh, at every level, but I think more acutely in in the local communities than we might appreciate. Mm-hmm. And that when you do stuff, people are grateful. Uh, yeah. And like I remember when I was involved in inner city ministry in Kansas City, uh, we had a, a group of uh, young African American kids in a tough neighborhood that we were, we were reaching out to and connecting with, and um, we had. Uh, we had people give us vans, give wow. us free uh, time at the local gym, <laughs> you know, gave us everything we possibly wanted uh, to be able to connect with those kids. Uh, they, did, they didn't care that we were from a church. They yeah. just want, they just knew that these kids needed to get off the street and yeah. that these kids were in, in bad spot. And I think when we kind of step into those vacuums, um, we find ourselves almost embarrassed by how much people defer to us. You know, because there's such a huge need out there. They're looking so, for leaders. So as we're, we're thinking about this, Max, what do you, anything that kind of gets you thinking about our situation here? Yeah, I mean, plenty. I mean, factor into this whole discussion, you, um, you guys both touched on it, the notion that people are going to help you get these things done. I couldn't put my finger on where it all comes from, but that's what I see happening in Battleground right now. There's a whole bunch of people who go, well, I'm not interested, but I got some money I could give you to go do that. You know, who would, yeah. would participate in that fashion? You know, yep. um, th- that seems to be the overwhelming thing. I'm at least I'm interacting with in some of the circles I'm involved in yeah. is that yeah. don't have the time or the interest, but I got some money that someone should someone should do that. Yeah. And you know, um, I think the the thing we see constantly is how much stuff just gets like deferred to the state. Generally speaking, yeah, yeah, that the church ought to be. Yeah, and maybe, and, maybe, and maybe what we're what we're doing is we're misdiagnosing the situation. Maybe maybe the situation. Yes, there are bureaucrats who just love to see their office, uh, their department grow, budget grow, staff grow. That's true for everything in the world. Yep. You know, you know. I think any person who's got any. We've been talking about ambition a little bit. If yep. you work in government, then what do you want? You want more more money and more staff. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can always think of things to do. But maybe part of the reason that we don't never see a significant downsizing is not so much that, but just simply people who are like, man, I'm just overloaded. Uh, I, but it obviously needs to be done. Uh, who can we get to do it? Ah, the state. Yep. I see it all the time at work. Um, uh, I'll have to do some thinking on this as far as specifics of the situation. I'm not sure I can share them all, but it happens. You've got volunteer organizations that are meeting a need for a long time, and the 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 county or the jurisdiction they're working in will kind of foster that along and go, well, I hope nothing messes this up, because if this stops happening, someone's going to have to do it. And, and um, 
sometimes it does. The, the, the yeah. volunteer organization goes away to something else, and now you've got you know the bureaucrats, so to speak, the staff yeah. at the jurisdiction who are saying, well, this has to get done, and now they're going to try to get more money to help get it done. They're not going to do as good a job as the volunteer yeah. organization was doing. Right. And a lot of times, you're right, um, there's no lack of you know power-hungry people flooding with the government, but there's also sure. a lot of people who are just saying that. Like, mm-hmm. this, someone has to do this. Yeah. And why I wish that volunteer organization would come back. Yeah. And you don't really kind of appreciate the kind of the dynamics we're describing until you get involved. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like something you would assume at a distance. Like if all you do is listen to, you know, cable television, you might just kind of think that's an accurate description of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when in fact it's maybe part of the story, but not the in- it's the it's the part of the story that's salacious enough to keep the the eyeballs and the ears focused <laughs> on the show. <laughs> right. That's what they're really interested. In. The reason why you know the New York Times didn't give you more space in that article is you didn't give them the salacious. Yeah. So you, you didn't give them the I target. Her. <laughs> I, I think I called them perverts at one point. That was like, the, and she didn't. Run with that at all yeah 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 but the, it was funny then the, the title was like the whole idea is now these drag queens fear violence <laughs> right and that's and and so i was like making them a sympathetic any way you can make them sympathetic yeah. is what and the I was like, Times no, to there's do. no drag queens there that i mean i'm in southern ohio i'm in southwestern ohio i mean most of america you get outside the the cities it's it gets hillbilly pretty quick here, oh yeah and, yeah and yeah. those drag queens are gonna get they're not going to be welcome. <laughs> so. Yeah, they're, and it's surprising where you find these areas, too. Like in central Connecticut, it's huge Trump country. Yeah. People don't realize it. It's yeah, tobacco it and guns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's one of the biggest tobacco-growing areas in the United States is central Connecticut. Uh-huh. It's also wow. where many of our guns are manufactured. It's where Colt and Mossberg and Ruger are all nice. headquarters. So anyway, yeah. you, you go into that part of the, you see Trump signs everywhere. Yep. It's just it's just Fairfield County has all the money. Yep, that's how <laughs> it is. That's how it works. So, I mean, this has been a fun conversation. I think we should probably begin to bring it in to a close. So let's kind of go to kind of uh, the larger question of how, how do we, other churches, I think maybe we touched on it a little bit, uh, but how does sort of the, what you're doing kind of connect them? Say, for example, what we're up to here in Battleground or other places. Yeah. Are, are, there, are there any kind of like places that you say, well, there's some things over there that look really interesting. You know, is, is there any connecting that's going on? Yeah, so, I mean, so obviously we have a pretty strong connection to you guys, to some of my friends in Ogden, Brian Sauvé and those guys at Refuge, and, and friends with a lot of folks out of Moscow. Um, I think one is uh, being very supportive and encouraging of entrepreneurs in your church. Yeah. You know, uh, you're talking about money, and what you find out, if you pay close attention, is things get done because there's always money, right? There's a prince behind Luther. Oh, yeah. That gives him money and protection, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. And you need those people. And there's some people that are just good at making money, and they've got ideas, but they're not the on-the-ground types. Right. That's not okay. what they do. And that's fine. It's the body of Christ, right? And as we also said, it's like it's weird. The God will bring money to you from, like, I was supporting the ministry for a long time but by more than a few atheists. And it's honestly just being friendly to them. Yeah. I had one, this is a true story. I had one that um, he knew I was strongly against abortion. And he got a girl pregnant out of wedlock and uh, while I was visiting Europe. So it was a complicated situation. He came back and she was talking about having an abortion. And he begged her not to do it. And wow. she did it. He said, look, I'll move. I'll move there and raise this kid. Which he did. He didn't wow. have another kid now. But he wasn't a Christian at the time. And when he 
was begging to save his child. He remembered some of the things I told him. And he, and then he reached out. He said, I want to support you in the ministry. Cool. Yeah, and wow. so it's like, yeah. but he's still not a Christian today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. But he was like, no, I, I, we shouldn't kill babies. Because yeah. my right. baby almost died. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so you, like, people are like that. They yeah. see the good you're doing. And, and some people have so much money. Oh, yeah. They don't even know what to do with it. (laughs) Like, and for those of us that have like scraped by for a long time and like, you know, that's not a problem I currently have. But there are some people that have so much money and and they're very generous. But what they're looking for is where the action is, where someone's doing something. Well, here's something that would be fun for us maybe to have you back to talk about. So, you know, I've got a lot of people that I'm connected to with with, who are pretty well off. And sometimes I'll have somebody say to me, I wish I could meet some rich people. And I and I remember a couple of times I've said you actually know a number. Yeah, I know I know who you know, and you have yeah. zero clue. <laughs> yeah, because millionaire next door, right? The yeah, rich, rich people are rich for a reason. The, they don't know how to pick up on the signs. Yeah. It's just like if you have if you have like an antenna, you can see this guy a mile away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we could talk about another show that that'll bring them back. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> fundraising. <laughs> how to find your rich neighbors? <laughs> but also entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are very different uh, from, say, senior vice presidents in Fortune 500 companies. They are. I, but I think they're creating new stuff. But your typical pastor has zero clue, zero mm-hmm. clue how to distinguish between the two. Furthermore, that your typical pastor is very uncomfortable around the, the actual entrepreneur. He's much more comfortable around the senior VP. Well, entrepreneurs are very critical of most pastors because most pastors are very managerial. Yeah. So they maintain the status quo. They have a system they put in. And there's there's a place for that. You need managers. Um, but entrepreneurs, they see cracks, they see opportunities, they see yeah. problems, and they're risk takers. Yep. And that's kind of like goes against most churches. So, so I would say like seriously, preaching on the value of risk, preaching on the value of godly ambition. Mm-hmm. Um actually talking to the men about what's going on in their vocation, pushing the young men to get involved. Yeah. Soon you just got half of your church and all the main companies and and you have influence just by yeah. You know, your your people are everywhere and you're connected <laughs> everywhere. And that's right, yeah. right. that is increasingly happening to us. And so much so when something bad's coming down politically, we tend to hear about it before yeah. before it hits the news. The news yeah. people might know about it, but we hear about it before it's like a story. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, this is great stuff. Um, anything you want to say as we wrap up here, Max? Other than I'm really excited to continue this conversation. <laughs> this has been fun. Thanks for yeah, uh, doing yeah. this, Michael. I appreciate yeah, thanks it. Thanks for having me. It's great. Yeah. Now, as we wrap up, is there anything you want to say about how people can reach uh, out to you or just follow you? Or Don't reach out to me. <laughs> I, I am so bad at responding to email. I probably won't do it. If you come to our church, that's great. I'll talk to you there. You can go to, uh, if you go to YouTube and type in, uh, East River Church, Batavia, B-A-T-A-V-I-A. You can find both uh, both years of County for Country, uh, the, the panels and everything recorded free of charge. You can go there. If you have the Canon Plus app, the first year's on there. You see Chris talk, George, a lot of the panels are good. I love the panels because I yeah, like hearing fun. different yeah. takes on how people do things. So I would say go there. And and then something's going to hit you that you're going to think, I might be able to do that. Then go try. And if you fail, so what? But go try. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would say. You've already inspired me. I'm, I've actually got the paperwork to do story hour at our library here. All right. I, I, I was trying it. to get Kirk Cameron to come here. <laughs> Where are you? I was because the, the publisher reached out to me. And I was like, I, well, I'm on vacation in Washington. But I'm sure someone around here would make it happen. I'll connect yeah, you. Yeah, you know, well, so. our, our library is guilty of having had Drag Queen Story Hour as the Fort Vancouver Regional Library. Did oh, that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. They did it for a couple, three years, and then— um, Not uh, here in Battleground. 
Uh, was in Battleground? In Vancouver, but the oh, library Vancouver's. network extends into Battleground right by where you live. Well, I know that they're connected. But I was just thinking the, the place. But not though. the actual branch. The actual Correct. branch. Correct. I believe it was the downtown Vancouver branch was the only place yeah. that did it, I think. Yeah. Uh, but they oh, did I it believe that. It's half a dozen times, and uh, yeah. it um, um, ended when the pandemic started. Hey, well, so, <laughs> God's judgment. <laughs> right. So there's some silver lining there. Um, but yeah, we sent letters and stuff, but yeah. I've, I've got all the stuff together to get a story well, out. Well, libraries are barren uh, often and have people bring children in and teach them to love books. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of librarians. That's, that's exciting to see action again. Yeah. Back when we were younger, at least when I was, you oh, know, yeah. libraries were happening in places. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, the last few times I've gone to them, it's just like you see a tumbleweed blow through. <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah. Some, there's yeah. like some, there's always some blue hair chick. But yeah. there's also some old sad lady that wish kids would read books again. Right, yeah, you know? right, right. Yeah, and they try to get into other stuff like, you know, renting DVD movies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's more and more computers, less and less books in the library right, all right. the time. Yeah, True. Anyway, well, let's wrap it up. It's been great to have you for the uh, Battleground Project. Um, as we move forward, I'm sure there'll be things that we have that will help you to connect with us. We don't have those yet. <laughs> we don't have a website. We don't have an email address. We've got nothing. But uh, we do have a show, and uh, hopefully we'll have a number more shows uh, in the future. Anyway, uh, goodbye from Battleground and Old Town Burger. 